Good morning, everybody. I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue in worship. Um, as we continue in worshiping our great God and Father and our Savior Jesus, uh, let me pray as we get started and um, looking at God's Word. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for this morning, a time uh, as we gather as your people, with your people. Got a time for us to gather around the proclamation of the gospel through singing, through prayer, through uh, fellowship and communion. And God, now uh, through the preaching and teaching of your word, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would uh, quiet our minds from distractions, that you would uh, focus our attention on you, God, that you would stir our heart's affection toward you. And God, this morning that by your spirit you would speak through your word, through me as your vessel, uh, to us as your people, uh, God, to this community as the dwelling place for your spirit. God, you would shape us, transform us, help us see uh, who we are apart from you. God, the gravity of the sin and brokenness that we all carry. And God, may we see who we are in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who uh, you are and what you've done for us, Jesus as our Savior. God, that you would transform us for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of redemption uh, would echo from this place and this city into the world. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, where we've been for the past several weeks. Uh, just a few verses today, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is God's word. Friends, I have some good news and some bad news, and then some good news. The good news is that God is sovereign. God created everything out of nothing. God created everything for his glory and for our joy. And then in creation and God's goodness, we are created to be image bearers to reflect the goodness of God. That's good news. The bad news is we see that sin and rebellion uh, mars that image. The identity we have as God's image bearers is, is scuffed a little bit because of sin and rebellion. But the good news is that in Christ, God is redeeming and reconciling and restoring all things to himself. Scripture tells us this. Uh, it's the storyline of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. We see in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God creates everything out of nothing, says that it is good, creates the first man and the first woman, says this is very good, commands them to be his image bearers through uh, cultivating the earth, through relationship with one another, through uh, having children and propagating the earth and family. We see in Genesis chapter 3 that sin and rebellion enters the world as uh, the first man and first woman are deceived the Bible uses the word sin 
And often in our culture, we don't have a full understanding of what the word sin means, what sin truly is. Biblically speaking, the, the words to describe sin, there are several, and, and they are broad, sweeping. But in its essence, sin can be a mistake, a misstep, a fault, an error. It literally, literally means missing the mark of God's standard of holiness. And through biblical literature, we see that sin denotes a conscious effort of rebellion. Sin is not just some, hey, I'm walking along and oops, I tripped. It is a conscious effort to rebel against God's holy standard. It's, at its core, sin is something within us that looks God in the eye and says, I know who you are, I see what you've done in creation, and I'm going to choose to do the other. At its core, that's what sin is. Sin can be expressed through sins of omission and commission, we see that sin is, a, is not only actions that we do or don't do, but they're attitudes of the heart, where our mind's attention may be, where our heart's affection may be. And if it's apart from God's holy standard, it's sin. And sin can be expressed through sins, the actions of omission and commission, meaning uh, omission is things that maybe God says, I want you to do this because you're my people and I love you. Because you are image bearers, I want you to love me above everyone else. I want you to have no other gods besides me. That's a, that's a, a sin is to say, God, I, I hear you, I see you, but I'm going to not do what you command. Sins of commission are doing things that God says to not do, like, hey, don't murder. All right, don't commit adultery. Don't uh, lust in your heart. Don't have uh, bitter anger against someone else. And you see, the bad news of sin is that this rebellion, this, this act of uh, rebellion against who God is and what he's done for us in creation expresses itself not only in our attitude and actions toward God, but in our brokenness and relationships to each other. It doesn't take much for you to maybe think about someone you have wronged or maybe someone who has wronged you. Right now, undoubtedly, somebody may be in your mind that maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody you work with or go to school with, and that person has wronged you. And you're carrying the burden of that sin and brokenness because the relationship you have with that person is severed because of that sin. Maybe you have wronged somebody else, and you're carrying the guilt and burden of that, of having wronged somebody but friends, I want to tell you, when we look at sin, it's not just the personal effects of guilt and shame that we carry. It's not just the relational effects of, oh, we have brokenness in our friendship now because of sin. At its core, sin is rebellion against God's holiness. Often we can focus on the personal effects of sin and not really have a good understanding of what sin is itself. Often we can say, look, because of sin, I don't feel close to God. Okay, that's true. Because of sin, I'm not close to this family member because they've wronged me or I've wronged them. Because of sin, I'm not close to my spouse or my children or my aunts and uncles or my neighbors or my coworkers. All that may be true. But the gravity of sin is not just the personal effect we carry of guilt and shame. It's not just the effects we have that sin has on our relationships with others. At its core, sin is an affront to God's holiness. We all fall short. We all are broken. We all deal with sin and its effects. Now, now that I've painted this picture of the bad news, I want to ask you to think in your mind right now, what guilt are you carrying? 
What sin are you struggling with? What personal sin and effect of sin uh, is affecting you right now? Think about the relationships that exist that are broken because of sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that God created everything out of nothing for his glory and we are image bearers. The bad news is sin and rebellion taints that bearing image that we are to reflect back to God and to each other. But the good news is that in Christ we have redemption. As we've seen in Ephesians, we've been going through chapter 1 very slowly for a reason, for a purpose, because chapter 1 sets the stage for the rest of the book of Ephesians. If we rush through chapter 1, we're going to miss what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has for us. We've seen over the past several weeks that in Christ, we have this identity of redemption that's expressed as being faithful saints, being chosen by God, being adopted, being holy and blameless All of these identities that describe this identity of redemption, what it means to be redeemed through the blood of Christ. We see in chapter uh, 1, verse 7, where we are today, that this redemption is described a little more explicitly. As Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Last week we looked at redemption being this uh, freeing, being uh, set free from from slavery is what it means to be purchased uh, for God and for Christ by his blood. And Paul writes here that that is forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses being one of the many words to describe sin, the brokenness that we feel between us and God and between us and each other. So when we look at sin and its effect, we look at who we are, the guilt, the shame, the brokenness we feel as God's people, the brokenness we experience in different relationships. I want to ask you this. How do you try to fix the problem of sin in your life? I mean, what is it you try? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just totally comfortable in your sin. But how do you try to deal with sin and its effect in your life? When we look throughout biblical literature, we see that for a season, God had his people uh, throughout the Old Testament doing a sacrificial worship for there to be atonement for their sin and brokenness. Not only for them personally, but whole families and villages would be represented through a sacrificial system in the temple in the Old Testament. In our culture today, there are many other ways that we try to do that, just as in the Ephesian church in the first century, there were ways to do that. Culturally, we say maybe we need to atone for our own sins by maybe doing better, trying harder maybe going to some uh, group scenario and just maybe regurgitating how awful we are and then hugging each other and then walking away. Maybe that'll help us atone for our sin. Maybe we try to uh, be more religious or more spiritual. Maybe we try to serve our neighbors. But I want us to think, if that is the way we're trying to deal with our sin and brokenness, what heart motivation is prompting you to do that? Because, friends, I want us to go to the heart of the issue of sin and brokenness and not just the action of sin and brokenness. Because often we can say, well, this relationship's broken, so I'm going to do something to try to fix that relationship. While at the heart issue, the sin is not being dealt with. You may be thinking, I have wronged this person, so to try to make things right, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, so maybe they'll like me again. But at its core, the sin is still in your heart because you're being prompted to do that out of guilt or shame. Right, we do it with God, too. We're like, all right, God, I know I'm falling short, but if you just cut me a break this week, I promise I'll read the Bible two times a day. Right? I promise I'll give more than 10% in the plate at church on Sunday. 
And we bargain with God thinking, okay, God, out of guilt and shame, we look God in the eye and say, okay, I want to make this right, so I'm going to do this for you, God. Then maybe you will forgive me and accept me. We do it with each other. We say, look, man, I know I've wronged you, so maybe to make up for it, I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you a beer, right? That may all be well and good as expressions of forgiveness and atonement, but if in our hearts that is prompted out of guilt and shame, we're missing the gospel. Because the gospel is that in Christ we have forgiveness. Paul tells us that in Christ we are faithful saints. In Christ we are adopted children. In Christ we are redeemed. In Christ we are forgiven. Paul tells us here in as he's writing to the Ephesian church that the forgiveness is purchased by the blood of Christ and the riches of his grace. I've been thinking about this verse all week. It's been, it's been haunting me in a good way. What it means to be forgiven by the blood of Christ and the riches of his grace. You see, it's the grace of God by which we have forgiveness. It's the blood of Christ by which we have true atonement. So as we assess the guilt and shame we carry, the sin and brokenness we have personally, as we observe the sin and brokenness we have toward each other in community, maybe in this church, maybe in your family, I want us to look at the good news of redemption and challenge you to assess your heart this morning. I want to challenge us all to assess our hearts and say, okay, the good things we do, are they prompted out of guilt and shame because of sin? Are they prompted out of fear? Maybe God doesn't approve of us. Maybe they're prompted out of pride, saying, look, this relationship's broken. I'm going to outdo that person. Hmm? I've been there this year. Oh, there's a broken relationship. I'm going to outlove that guy. That's pride. It's not the gospel. The good news is that in redemption and forgiveness through Christ's blood, from the riches of his grace, we are released from bondage. We are released from payment. We are released from penalty. That's what forgiveness means. It's this image of having a debt that is canceled. It is saying this debt is not just forgotten about and swept under the rug. It means, no, the debt is there, but it's been dealt with in a different way so that you do not have to carry that guilt and shame anymore, so that you don't have to do X, Y, and Z to make that right between you and God, between you and each other. The good news of forgiveness changes everything in the Christian's life. It changes your motivations in worshiping God. It changes your motivations and your actions to obey the commands of Christ. It changes your attitude toward others. It changes your actions toward others. And this is good news. Because if through Christ's death we have atonement, through his blood we have been released from bondage, we have been released from the payment and penalty of sin, the debt has been canceled, if that comes from the riches of his grace, there's no limit to what we can do with forgiveness, right? When I look at this and I say, I mean, often we say, well, X, Y, and Z has to happen for this relationship to be restored. Well, that's not what scripture says. Scripture says forgiveness comes from the riches of his grace. How much, what, what limit is there to God's grace? Is there one? I don't think so. The good news of redemption is that in Christ, our debts have been forgiven. Our debt, our failures, as we stand before God who is holy and we we are just wretched, sinful people, we can stand before God and not shudder in fear saying, God is gonna strike me down. Or we don't approach God with guilt and shame 
because through the blood of Christ, from the riches of his grace, that penalty has been paid for. And that is good news for us personally, between us and God, amen? But that's good news relationally. And this is where I want us to focus some of our time on this morning, because I don't want us just walking out of here saying, well, I've been forgiven, so I can sleep good tonight. Yeah, I want you to sleep well tonight, right? I want you to know that in Christ, you have a new identity as a forgiven, redeemed, adopted son and daughter of the king. I want you to know that. But because of that, you share that experience of forgiveness with sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in this room and in this community. And that's really good news. Psalm 103, 12 promises this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You see, the sin and guilt we carry, the shame, the fear, the pride we carry, God removes as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. You can't get any further than that. Micah 7.19 says, he will, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends, this is good news. This is free news to know any sin that you have ever committed, whether in action or attitude, is in the depths of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. Likewise, the wrong that's been done to you can be purchased with the blood of Christ only. And so doing the sin and the effects, the brokenness we have in our relationships can be mended, not because we can make up for somebody else's failures, not because we sweep it under the rug, but rather we look at sin and say, all right, that sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. That sin can be dealt with from the riches of God's grace, not the riches of my grace, which are very limited. Ask my wife, ask my children. Sinful man. But this riches of God's grace is infinite. And our atonement has been purchased by the blood of Christ. So, if it's by his grace and through his blood we're forgiven, there's no limit to the forgiveness we receive from God our Father nor is there any limit to forgiveness we can display to each other, right? I mean, if this is true, which I believe it is, this is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the hand of Paul and his associates. If this is true, if indeed in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I mean, if that's true, there is no limit to what we experience as God's children when it comes to forgiveness. That should be good news for you. Now, when you leave this place, I don't want you to go cuss out your server at Applebee's. All right, I don't want you to go home and have... Uh, fight with your spouse or significant other, be harsh with your children, or be angry toward your neighbor. That's not what experiencing the forgiveness from the riches of God's grace means. It means that if we experience that, we are being transformed as image bearers to reflect that to each other. 
right? In creation, God creates everything out of nothing, creates the first man and first woman to be image bearers. Sin mars that a little bit, but we're image bearers just the same. It's like looking into a mirror. You were created to be a mirror to reflect God's goodness. And like if you take a really hot shower and the, wind, the mirror fogs up a little bit, you can't really see, but the mirror is still there. In the same way, sin clouds and fogs up the reflection, but we're still image bearers. By Christ's blood, through his redemption, by the forgiveness from the riches of his grace, the fog is wiped off the mirror a little bit so that we would reflect his goodness back to him and to each other. Reflecting the goodness that our atonement is in Christ alone, not our own merit, not our own works, not making up for lost time. From the storehouses of his grace, not our own grace. This is good news for us. So a couple things as points of application I want to encourage us to think about today. Because as we move forward through the book of Ephesians, we're going to get more and more um, applicable or applicable. We'll be talking more and more about marriage and parenting. We'll be talking more and more about unity in the body of Christ. We'll talk more and more about how grace is applied personally in community, on mission. We'll be talking about this every Sunday because this is what Scripture tells us. But we have to do so with a motivation, with the solid foundation of truth that we're not doing this, moving forward as a church called redemption. We're not, we're not going to do this because of any merit on our own. We're just reflecting who God is, the riches of his grace. We're just image bearers who are experiencing personal redemption in the context of community. We're going to reflect forgiveness to each other time and time again. So a couple things I want to encourage you with. First, on some points of application personally, This is personally between you and God, your relationship with God. I urge you to embrace the identity as a forgiven son or daughter. Embrace that identity. That by Christ's blood, from the riches of his grace, you are a son or daughter of the king. End of story. You don't have to work toward approval or acceptance. You don't have to make up for your failures. You're accepted. You're approved. He loves you. He has forgiven you by the blood of his son, Jesus. He has forgiven you from the riches of his grace. And this is hard for some of us, especially to think of God as a loving father. He's a perfect father. Some of us in this room, uh, maybe you have a great relationship with your father, and he has shown you time and time again forgiveness and grace, and has just poured upon you love like Jesus, right? Others of you may not have that relationship. Maybe you have a broken relationship with your father. You're saying, man, my dad was not like that. If I came home and said, hey, I got a B in science, I said, but you better do better. I'm going to take everything from you. Get better at science, right? Run faster on the track. Maybe you don't have a great relationship with your father. Let me tell you that God is a loving father whose grace knows lo- no limit. His riches of his grace are limitless. First John 1, 8 and 9 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have sin, and if you say you don't, you're deceiving yourself. But the good news is if we confess our sins, God is faithful He's just, that means he's righteous 
to forgive us, to release us from the penalty and payment of sins. Not only does he release us and say, okay, you wretched person, I'm not going to make you pay for your sin, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, transforming us, wiping away the fog off the mirror so that we can reflect his goodness back to him and to each other. So friends, I want us to embrace this identity of being forgiven. If you've walked in here with guilt, sin, burdens, they are dealt with by the blood of Christ. God is extending the riches of his grace to you. Be released from that and embrace an identity of forgiveness in Christ. But secondly, I want us to think about relationally how this plays out to us because when we look at this understanding of forgiveness, when we look at this identity of being redeemed people, it's not something we do individually, personally, just, okay, I'm redeemed and I'm going to stand here. No, 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 no. God puts us in community in a family. I mean, when you were adopted into a family, you got to deal with the other brothers and sisters. You can't just, you're not an only child in the kingdom. You're not, sorry. You have brothers and sisters by which we reflect forgiveness to each other because every time we forgive one another, we are reflecting the riches of God's grace. When we forgive one another, we are reflecting to each other that Christ has atoned for our sin and that you don't have to do that. So relationally, others in community Um, we embrace this identity of forgiveness and we also express this identity of forgiveness to each other. Those of you who are married know this all too well, and if you are working toward marriage, you will know that forgiveness has to be key to your relationship, otherwise you won't be married long at all. If you have kids, you understand that forgiveness is there. I mean, it has to be. Your kids are going to rebel against you every day, likely, in various ways. It can be funny sometimes, too, I'm going to tell you. Sunday mornings are just great. Trying to, try to dress a three-year-old on a Sunday morning, and you, you have to embrace forgiveness, or, or it's it. You, just look, you need to leave. I mean, you can't look a three-year-old in the eye and say, you better get dressed, or I'm going to disown you. I mean, no, when the kid's like, no, I refuse to get dressed, you're like, well, I'm going to have to forgive this kid. I mean, you have to. Legally, you have to, but, but cosmically, you must. Right? And so, friends, if you were married or, or if, you, if you were married or if you have children, you know this all too well. And God uses that to teach you about Himself. If you are not married, that's okay. But I want to encourage you to uh, embrace relationally what forgiveness looks like, and you, know, you can practice that in various ways. Because forgiveness means showing grace to others, not ignoring the sin, but rather looking to Christ, who He is and what He's done. That's what forgiveness is. Often we can say, well, I want to forgive you. That just means I'll just pretend it didn't happen. No, it did happen. We might need to talk about it. But in that moment, it's not do better, try harder, but it's rather saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at you the way God sees you, and that's through the lens of Christ. I'm choosing in our relationship for our relationship to be defined by forgiveness because Christ paid the penalty for my sin, paid the penalty for your sin. And from the riches of God's grace, he is wiping away the fog off of both of us so that, so that we can reflect God's goodness to each other. I mean, that's, that's exciting. It takes practice because we are broken, foggy mirrors. Showing grace to others does not mean ignoring the sin, but rather looking to Christ, pointing to Jesus, saying, this is who Christ is and what he's done for us. Now let's embrace that forgiveness and walk in it. I had lunch with a, a pastor friend of mine this week who... Um, He's not twice my age, but he's close. He has kids my age, and this man's been in ministry longer than I've been alive. And I, and I have lunch with him, and he cracks me up every time. Uh, and, and usually about an hour into the conversation, he'll, he'll start crying because of 
reflecting on the gospel being applied to his personal life. And, and it's, it's also like clockwork. I'm like, wait for it, wait for it. Tears. And I love it. I love it because over the years of knowing this man, he's not going to say, I'm just going to coach you how to be a good pastor. No, he's not doing that at all. He says, Jeremy, I want you to see what the gospel looks like when you're a grown man. I want, to, I want you to see how it shapes you as a person. He shares some of these stories of how God has just chiseled away at his heart. And it's just, I'm sitting across the table from this man every time we meet and he's just crying. I start crying sometimes. I'm like, man, the gospel's so good. We're all a wreck, you know? And I was meeting with him this week and we were talking about it. He's like, what are you preaching on this week? I said, I'm preaching on forgiveness. And he says, all right, well, who do you need to forgive? I'm like, well, uh, how, how much time do you have? You know what I mean? He goes, well, who needs to forgive you? I'm like, oh, I don't know if we should get into that. And he's like, well, how is forgiveness being played out in your life? And he gives me this illustration. He says, Jeremy, you need to know something about relational dynamics. He says, this is, this is what he's experienced in his life. He says, guilt and shame, uh, gu- sorry, guilt and blame play itself out in human relationships. On one hand, you have guilt. On the other hand, you have blame. It's going to be hard. What happens in human relationships is the more guilt we have, the more blame we have to push out there because in our human nature, we cannot shoulder the guilt of sin. So imagine on this hand, you have all the guilt and shame of your sin and it's weighing you down and weighing you down and weighing you down. No human can shoulder the weight of our sin. So how we balance that out is we blame. We said, we're going we're gonna to blame, maybe it was my parents' upbringing of me. I'm going to blame them. I'm going to blame the government. I'm going to blame my financial situation. I'm going to blame that other person. If you have a broken relationship, it's really easy to not even look at your own sin because you're going to blame that guy, right? And so we have this scales, this balance that we say the only way we can shoulder the sin is to balance it out with blame and blame and blame. And that is human relationships. That's human nature, but it's not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that the scales are totally obliterated. He blows it apart and says, look, I'm I'm not even going to take, I'm going to take the blame and shoulder it on the cross and die for your sin. And by my blood, I'm going to atone for it. That way the blame is not there anymore. But out of the riches of my grace, I'm going to take away that sin too. I'm going to cleanse you to be righteous. That's what the gospel does. That's the good news of the person and work of Jesus and so, friends, I want us to assess not only our personal hearts between us and God, our identity as, as forgiven people. Are you harboring unforgiveness in your own heart toward yourself, maybe the sins of your past or the sins of your present? Embrace the identity of forgiveness, but relationally, in community, what is this looking like for you? Is there a broken relationship that you have wronged somebody, or maybe they have wronged you, or maybe a little of both? Are you shouldering too much sin and guilt and thus trying to balance it with blame? Let's apply the gospel. Because failing to forgive, failing to forgive yourself or failing to forgive someone else is the equivalent of looking Jesus in the eye and saying, your blood wasn't good enough for me. It's just like looking God in the eye and saying, the riches of your grace, they don't apply to this situation. Is that what we're doing with unforgiveness to ourselves and to each other? Is the brokenness of our unforgiveness looking Christ in the eye and saying, your death, your life, death, and resurrection is not sufficient for that guy who wronged me. Your life, death, and resurrection is not sufficient to forgive me for my sin. Friends, let me urge you to embrace forgiveness 
by believing the gospel. I mean, at its core, unforgiveness is disbelief in the gospel. At its core, unforgiveness of yourself or each other is distrusting Jesus. Repentance is turning from unbelief to belief. Repentance is turning from unforgiveness to forgiveness. It's turning from the riches of your own merit and the other person's making up for lost time and turning to the riches of God's grace through the blood of Christ. Colossians three twelve through 13 says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Doesn't that make you feel good to know that you are holy and beloved in Christ? Holy and beloved. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Huh? As Christ has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. It's hard words. That's harder to apply than you think. In fact, you cannot apply this apart from God's grace to you in your heart. Because if you try to forgive this, somebody will walk away. In your own strength and flesh, if you say, hey, we're going to forgive each other, somebody at the table will say, no, I'm leaving. I would rather leave this relationship than forgive you. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe somebody has looked you in the eye and said, I would rather leave this relationship than forgive you. That's happened to me and my family this year numerous times. Maybe you're on the extending end of that where you've looked somebody in the eye and say, I, maybe it's a family member or a neighbor or a friend or somebody at work that you've looked them in the eye and said, I would rather leave this relationship than forgive you for what you've done to me. I can relate on both sides of the table, okay? Broken human, need Jesus. Scripture commands that we put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. I love how Paul writes that in Colossians. He doesn't say, do that, and then God will love you. Do that, and then you'll be one of God's children. No, he says, because you are God's chosen, because Christ has forgiven you. I mean, do you see that? It is God's forgiveness of us through Christ's blood from the riches of his grace is the motivation for us to embrace forgiveness as an identity and to extend forgiveness to each other. The motivation is not what can that person do for me or what must I do to get better. The motivation is God has forgiven you from the riches of his grace through the blood of Christ. Now, because of that, because of that, we are to forgive each other. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, huge, awesome, read it. He says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. I love that because Jesus says, hey, look, if you're going to worship, he doesn't say, hey, look, if you're going to worship and you have something against somebody, you better fix yourself before you come worship. No. He says, look, if somebody has something against you, go be reconciled 
in light of the gospel, being drawn close to Christ, if somebody has something against you, go be reconciled. I mean, go. Some of us have to make phone calls today. Some of us have to send emails. Some of us may need to go visit somebody today because somebody has something against you. Or maybe you have something against somebody else. Friends, let me charge you that our motivation to be reconciled is because we have been reconciled to God and Christ. As we experience personal forgiveness and we display relational forgiveness to each other, we are illustrating the gospel. As we extend grace to one another in Christian community, the outside world is looking and saying, man, those people are just showing grace. That is a grace-saturated community. I mean, friends, we are to be a light to the world by doing that. I mean, can you imagine the impact it would have for you to go to work tomorrow and somebody who has wronged you, you extend some grace to them? That'll, that'll mess them up for a while. If somebody is not a Christian, even if they are a Christian, if, so, if you, they're like, man, I've just wronged you. I stabbed you in the back to get the promotion that you wanted, and I, and I was able to finagle the, the boss to hire me and give me a raise rather than you a raise. You may be mad at somebody. That's a very real scenario for most many people. I mean, imagine you start loving that person with the riches of God's grace. Man, that'll mess them up. They'll be like, they, they won't know what to do with it. It's awesome. Same with your neighbor, man. Their dog keeps messing in your yard, or, or maybe you, just, you have a relational rift with somebody. Forgive them, show them grace, and it'll, it's like the sweet gospel revenge. It's so fun to see people be perplexed. I don't see how they can forgive me after what I've done. It'll mess them up, point them to Jesus, point them to the blood of Christ on the cross. Because forgiveness of each other is countercultural. And when we display that gospel to each other, it gives us a foretaste of who we are in Christ, what we will have for eternity with Christ. So personally, I want to say as a time of response, repent and believe this gospel. Embrace forgiveness. In community, think about who you need to forgive or maybe who needs to forgive you and make steps to reconciliation today. Because Christ has forgiven you, we must also forgive. And imagine the influence this would have. <laughs> imagine the influence this will have on your marriage, your family, this church, and this city if we are a community embracing forgiveness and characterized by forgiving each other. Holy cow! Who's in? Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for a chance to hear your word. God, I thank you for the gospel the good news of the person and work of Jesus. God, I thank you for forgiveness. Lord, I thank you that in our sin and brokenness, you have not turned your back on us. God, it's the riches of your grace, not the riches of our own merit, not the riches of our own sentiments or strength, but God, the riches of your grace by which we have forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus who lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but we messed up, who died a death as our atonement, our substitute, so that we don't have to anymore. God, I thank you that we are freed from the penalty of sin, the payment of sin, that we are set free from that bondage, and God, that we can embrace freedom in Christ, forgiveness. God, I pray for my friends in this room. God, I pray for myself. God, may we, may we, release the shame and guilt, the burdens of sin that we drag around from day to day, the sin that we have uh, done ourselves, or God, the sin that's been done to us, 
God, I pray that you would wreck our hearts with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, that we would embrace being forgiven. And God, I pray that in that identity of forgiveness, you would empower us to forgive each other. God, I pray that we would forgive each other in marriage and our family. God, that we would be quick to forgive our spouses, quick to forgive our children, quick to forgive our parents, quick to forgive our brothers and sisters. God, I pray that we'd be quick to forgive each other in missional communities and DNA groups and church worship community. God, that we would be quick to forgive each other in our neighborhoods and the workplace and the schools. God, I pray that in so doing, we would be restored image bearers, reflecting your goodness, reflecting your grace, pointing each other to Jesus so that we would respond in worship. God, that more people would come to know the beauty of you, Christ. God, that you would wreck us for your glory, for our joy and that this gospel would advance to the nations. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.